Now, let's get back to the text. We're just speeding right through the text. Um, we, uh, we got to the text last week, and we got all of three words. And, um, and, and I, I, I make light of that, but um, those first three words are, are very pregnant with meaning um, because this whole idea of Paul's uh, authority is, is at stake. Um, uh, you're going to see that that's one of the major things of the book. Uh, you're going to see it later on in chapter 1. You'll see it throughout the book. But it is very important to Paul that as he tries to uh, articulate and define and present this gospel, that his audience know that he has the authority to do what he's doing. So that's those three words are important. And really, uh, we kind of continue a little bit with that theme this evening. Let me, let me read you... Um, Let me read you verses 1 through 3. That's what we'll uh, try to look at tonight. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, uh, After after those first three words, this next clause uh, that starts with not from men, uh, that, that may seem somewhat out of place to you, somewhat uh, superfluous perhaps. Um, what does, for instance, the resurrection have to do with Paul's claim to apostleship? Well, as it turns out, it, it has quite a lot to do with it. And let me, let me try to explain. But first, uh, you notice uh, he's, he's emphatically stating, stating that his, um, his role, uh, his authority is not from men nor through man. Um, and that's a huge claim, ladies and gentlemen, because uh, he was so maligned as an imposter, uh, as one who had no right to, to do what he was doing. And so he's once again underscoring the fact that what I am, uh, nobody, no, nobody, no man gave me. Um, th- this is something that, that, that God did. I don't know whether you remember, um, but my, my favorite Old Testament prophet is a guy by the name of Jeremiah. I got his picture hanging in my, in my living room. But um, his book opens like this. Um, before I formed you in the... Let me... No. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Paul is claiming something like that. And perhaps even a bit beyond. Um, because Jeremiah was bringing nothing new. Paul was. Um, and so this idea that God has done this, that God has called me to this, that God has raised me up to do what I'm doing, that's a, that's a huge thing, guys, and um, very important as he go, goes on to develop the whole um, details of the, of the gospel. Now, um, but secondly, his opponents, well, look, not... Uh, from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. What does the resurrection have to... Why would he insert that here? What does that have to do with Paul's um, claim of authority? Well, folks, just this. Paul's opponents were preaching a gospel that established... um, a human contribution to righteousness. Now, 
righteousness is uh, important to his opponents. It's important to Paul, too, but it's important to his opponents. But what they did is, as you, I think, know, is that they said that this righteousness had to be, had to be um, added to by something that you contributed. And in this case, the, spe- the specific was circumcision. That you weren't righteous simply by the righteousness, but you had to add this thing to it. You had to add this thing called circumcision. In, in, in contrast, this, this gospel that Paul preached made clear that it was the resurrection, that, that was in, it was by the resurrection that Christ was declared to be victorious over law, over sin, over death, over flesh. And it was that victory of Christ's that gets imputed to us. Um, it's that which becomes the ground of our righteousness. It is the resurrection that demonstrates that the, that the work of Christ has, been, has satisfied and is, um, has been accepted to God. So it's that resurrection that demonstrates that the righteousness of Christ um, is what satisfies God, not the righteousness of Christ plus a human contribution, not your circumcision. And for 21st century folks, uh, guys, not your baptism. Uh, your baptism is, a, is, a, is an important thing but it is not a contribution that you make to tidy up the incomplete or incomplete work of Jesus Christ. No, the resurrection states that the value that the that the, the finished work of Christ was complete, and it is on that which Paul bases his his arguments. So this this resurrection thing is a is a part and parcel of Paul uh, of what Paul's trying to um, establish. Now, and um, it's, it's another thing in here that I want to spend some time on tonight, but I, I bet you it's going to just bore you to tears. Um, and I, and I, I want to tell you why it's, I've kind of wanted to spend some time on it. <laughs> um, Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through a man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Okay, we've addressed that first part. We've addressed the, the, the last part. It's that middle part that I want to spend some time on. Um, guys, um, Paul does something in verse two, verse one. He does it again in verse three that I want you to see. And and I um, I, I I bet you perhaps have seen it before, but if you haven't, I want you to get this down. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what the Apostle Paul has done? He has subtly, uh, but very clearly, equated the Father with the Son. He's done it twice. He did it in verse 2, and he did, in verse 1, he did it in verse 3. He's going to do it some more later on in the book. But um, <clears throat> that little word, and, but through Jesus Christ, and, God the Father. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that uh, those two persons of the Trinity are, are, are linked side by side with the conjunction and? Now, let me tell you why this is kind of important to me uh, currently. Um, last Saturday, not 
well, not this last Saturday, the Saturday before that, uh, not, not four days ago, but 11 days ago. A bright, beautiful Saturday morning. Uh, Susie and I are just uh, enjoying Saturday, and, and um, the, the doorbell rang, and um, my wife said, Oh, get that, honey. It's our next-door neighbor returning that, that, uh, uh, that coffee dish or that, uh, that cake dish or something like that. So, so I just, you know, very, very gladly went to the, the, the front door and, and opened up the front door, and standing on the other side was not my next-door neighbor, my new next-door neighbor. It was two very attractive African-American women who wanted to talk to me. <laughs> um, and, and, and my wife has, uh, my wife has chastised me since that event. Um, just tell them to go away. Uh, but, but it was, it's really her fault. Um, she told me to go to the door that my next door neighbor was returning the, these people had just moved in. Susie baked them a cake and, and the, the next door neighbor was returning the dish, says she. She was wrong. <laughs> And so I, you know, eagerly went to the door, opened the door, and there they stood. And, you know, what am I supposed to do? Be rude? Nah, Jimmy. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about Mr. Graciousness here, uh, you know. <laughs> and so they, they launched this spill, this spiel about, um, do you think it's possible to live a meaningful life apart from material possessions? Well, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, that's wicked. Not the, not the question, but, but what they're trying to do is, 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 you know, entrap you in a conversation. And I knew exactly who they were um, and what they were there for. But now I was at the door and I, you know, so I'm going to. So, and so I replied, um, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I think you can. You know. And then, of course, then they get out their little book and they want to, they want to, Take me through the little thing, and and what they're you know they're 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 inching you into a conversation so that they can tell you uh, what they really want to tell you, and you know I'm I'm wise to it you know so I, I'm wise so she I mean I I take the little brochure out of her hand turn on the back and and sure enough this has been printed by the Watchtower Association everybody knows who the Watchtower Association everybody got that I have two. Very attractive, very polite Jehovah's Witness females on my front porch. And so I say to them, um, there it is right there. I said, Y'all from the Jehovah's Witness Church. Well, see, they hadn't said anything about that uh, because they know that many of you would, unlike your dear, sweet pastor, would slam the door in, like my wife would slam the <laughs> slam the door in their faces without any further conversation. Uh, but um, um, and she said, and I said, well, I want you to know that I believe that what you're propagating um, is not only false, but it is diametrically opposed to uh, what I believe. And and fundamentally, the issue has to do with your view of Jesus Christ, and I believe Him to be God in flesh. Well, <laughs> that certainly didn't end the conversation. Um, so, and, and I, have to, I have to say this to you. Um, they were better trained than any I've ever met before. In fact, they, they said something that I had never heard before, and I bet you you haven't either. 
Um, I, of course, eventually quoted John 1.1 to them. Um, You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, um, oh, they had a reply. And, and, And I wonder if you've ever heard their reply and where it comes from. It comes from Acts 28. I had never heard that from a Jehovah's Witness. No, I hadn't heard from anybody. Well, of Jehovah's Witness, that's their argument. But I had never heard their reply to John 1.1 on the part of the evangelical Bible thumpers, like myself, um, being from Acts 28.6. Um, it's when Paul was marooned on that island and they treated him like a god. You know, ladies and gentlemen, you, you think this is boring? <laughs> Um, I started, in fact, I, I spent some time this afternoon writing out the whole Greek sentence of John 1.1 1, 1 as, as compared to Acts 28.6. I, 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 I was going to write the whole Greek sentence up there and show you something about the verb to be and syntax of the Greek language and, and, and show you the difference in the, the, the genres of the, of the text. And, all that. and I thought, they don't want to hear that. And I don't, think, I don't think you'd follow me. I tell you what, I don't know whether you can do this or not, but just trust me. Acts 28.6 is not a problem. Just trust me. Now, if you need me to do that, I'll do that another time, and, and, but I won't bore all of you. But, guys, I thought it might, be an, it might be wise just to take a couple of minutes and, and talk to you about this, this, this doctrine that is so Hate. By the way, Ravi Zacharias, who is one of my heroes, Ravi Zacharias says that the doctrine that is the most contemptuous and um, unthinkable to the entire religious world is our doctrine of the Trinity. Now, guys, um, I, I have to tell you, that my conversation with these two women on my front porch <clears throat> wasn't about the Trinity. It was about the deity of Christ. Um, th- their big hang-up is the deity. And, and she even said to me, um, to call Jesus God is to desecrate Jehovah. Now, so that's, 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 a, that's a pretty big issue. I hope you can see that you and I are calling Jesus God, and they call it a desecration of who God is. They call, it, they call it an attack upon God. The, uh, uh, that's why they call them Jehovah's Witnesses. Because they, they, they are not Trinitarians, and they certainly don't go along with the deity of Christ. The reason I'm bringing this up is because these ladies visited my house, but it's right here in this text. Do you see it? It's in verse 1, and it's in verse 3. That is, the Father and the Son are equated. Did you see that? That's why I'm drawing it to your attention. Now, I just want to take a few minutes of your time to try and give you just a kind of a a brief primer on the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, Because I think it's it's here, or at least the two persons of the Trinity are. But I'm going to do this real fast, and I bet you've heard this before. I'm sorry, but for those who have been visited by the Jehovah's Witnesses lately, you might need to hear this because they might have... Uh, confounded you. And I, 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 you know, Jimmy just prayed, might the truth steady us. Well, I want this truth to steady you. I want, I want, 
I don't want you to be unsteadied by two very winsome, attractive African-American women standing on your front porch telling you about Acts 28, verse 6. I don't want them to upset you. Now, you ready? Uh, Open your Bibles. I mean, uh, uh, we're going to go through this real quick. I'm not going to belabor the point, but um, um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis 1, 26. Um, Then God said... Let us make man in our own image. Um, you remember, um, remember I told you this story not too long ago, um, uh, that I had Micah Greenstein, the, the rabbi from uh, Temple Israel, in my office, and I asked him about um, Genesis 1.26. Um, Let us make man in our image. Well, who is God talking to there? I asked Micah that question, and he said, interestingly enough, that God is talking to the animals. That was his answer to this. Who is God talking to in 126? He is talking to the animals. And so we're made in the image of a whale. Some of us are, at least. <laughs> others of you are more cow-like. And others of I mean, because we're making, I'm going to make man in our image, us and the animals. I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, that's the first hint of the Trinity found in, in Genesis 1.26. Uh, in Genesis chapter 11, um, in verse uh, 7, this is the whole um, Tower of Babel story. And it says, come, let us go down there and confuse their language. Who is God talking to in Genesis 11, verse 7? Let us go down. Who's he talking to? Well, you don't have any animals around there. Who's he talking to there? we would suggest to you that he's talking to the other two members of the Trinity, just like he is in, in, in Genesis chapter 1. How about Genesis chapter 18? I love this passage because it's so mystical um, and, and odd, but uh, this is a story about um, um, Abraham. Um, uh, it's about right before they destroy, God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. But look at verse 18-2. He lifted up his eyes and behold, and, and, and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Um, now, uh, that's not too much, uh, but notice in verse 3, and Abraham says to the three of them, O Lord, <laughs> um, the God who Abraham encountered here was Trinitarian. Even if Abraham was not consciously aware of it at that time. Abraham probably couldn't give it, could have given you an orthodox description of the Trinity. But he is in the presence of three people and he calls them by one name. And he calls them Lord. Um, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, think about this. The Father cannot exist without the existence of the Son. Because if there was no Son, how could you call him Father? Um, how about just a couple of New Testament uh, passages? Um, how about, again, I know you've heard this dozens of times, but Libby hasn't. Um, you know, 
Libby doesn't know up from down. <laughs> uh, but anyway, how about uh, Matthew 28, um, the Great Commission? Uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name. Not the names. In the name. Singular of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. How about that? Um, but ladies and gentlemen, I, um, the thing that absolutely, oh, I don't know. I, it's not that it seals the argument for me because I, I didn't really need the argument to be sealed and maybe you didn't either. But the thing that is exhilarating to me is something that's done in the book of Revelation chapter 5 and I want you to turn there. I, I, I could get all hot and bothered about this. Um, this, this is... This is glorious stuff, guys. And you know what happens in Revelation 1, 2, and 3. You know, those are the letters to the seven churches, yada, yada, yada. Uh, those are the, you know, those seven, letter, those seven churches get letters from John, okay? In chapter 4, um, an angel comes to John. This is in verse, uh, it's in verse 1. And the angel says, come up here. Do you see that? Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? So the, the location, the locale of the, the Apostle John at this moment is up here. Come on up here. I want to show you some things. Up here. And you know, not down there. I want to show you some things up here. Um, he shows him, verse 2, a throne. You see that? A throne. And, and uh, um, uh, behold, a, a, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Now, around that throne, verse 4, are 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones are 24 elders. By the way, this is up here. John's up here. And he sees this throne. And there's somebody seated on the throne. And there's somebody, there's four people, 24 elders around the throne. But then we're not done. We only have, not only do we have 24 elders, in verse um, 6, we have four living creatures. Four living creatures. And they got strange descriptions of them and, you know. But anyway, here's what I want you to see. Verse 8, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within, day and night, they never cease to say, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Where's that directed, ladies and gentlemen? That's directed to the one seated on the throne. And by the way, and whenever, the, verse 9, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him. What a scene. What a scene, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, remember over in verse 1, come up here. We're up here. And um, all the time, these four living creatures are falling down and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and just God. And when they do that, the 24 elders... They fall down and they worship this God, the one that's on the throne. And they say, verse 10, verse 11, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Worthy are you, O God. So who's that on the throne? Pretty clear, isn't it? Now we come to chapter 5. And there's this... um, a scroll. Oh, there's a scroll. 
And the scroll has seven seals on it. And the seals, and, and John, is, John is all upset because there's nobody. Um, I mean, verse 2, who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And, and, and John begins to weep. Oh, no. There's a scroll with seven seals, but there's nobody to open. <coughs> Pardon me. There's nobody to open it. And so somebody, I don't know who it was, uh, says, oh, one of the elders, this is in verse five. Hey, 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 stop your cry. Don't, stop, you don't need to weep anymore. Because, because I got some news for you. The lion, <laughs> the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's here. The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. By the way, I always love to do this in my systematics class. Because have you ever sung that song? The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? Does that sound like the light of the tribe of Judah? Or is that some pitiful beggar? Oh, please, please. Won't you let me come in? That's not what they're saying in heaven, ladies and gentlemen. That's not what they're saying. Don't worry, John. Don't worry about a thing. Because that scroll's going to get opened by the lion of the tribe of Judah. Stay with me, ladies and gentlemen. We ain't even there yet. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders... I saw, uh-oh, a lamb. Oh, how about that? A lamb standing. Oh, how about that? As though it had been slain. How about that? Um, and, and, and though it had been slain with seven horns, seven nine spirits, and he went and took the scroll. Wait a minute. I thought it was the lion of the tribe of Judah. Well, guess what? The lion of the tribe of Judah... It's the same one as is the lamb, as if he'd been slain. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're almost there after all of that harangue. Verse 8, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. What are they doing? What are they doing? Huh? Tell me. They're worshiping him. By the way, who did we just see them worship about nine verses earlier? Uh huh. The one on the throne. And the four and the living creatures and the 24 elders, they're all, and, and, and look, look what they sing to him in verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the scroll of the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Keep going, and you have made them a kingdom of priests, and they shall reign for etc. And verse verse twelve, saying with a loud voice, "Worthy is the Lamb." Who did they just say that to over in chapter four, verse eleven? They said it to the one that was on the throne. 
<coughs> but keep reading. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. They worshiped. They worshiped the Father and the Son. Why? Because the Father and the Son are equated. Just like you see in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 3. There's one other place. <clears throat> verse, this is chapter 6, verse, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. 16, 16, 16, uh, 6, 16. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Ladies and gentlemen, do you get that? Do you see that? Do you understand why this worship is being ascribed to Jesus Christ? Do you know why? Because he's God. Nobody gets worship. Nobody is worthy except God. And you've got two conjunctions here. Worthy is the, uh, oh, uh, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You have it in 616. Um, him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. That's because, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is God. You can take me to those verses in Genesis 1.26 and Genesis 11, 7, and, and Genesis 18, 2, and 3, and you can take me to Matthew 28, verse, 20, uh, verse 19, and you can take me anywhere you want to take me. But ladies and gentlemen, for me, the issue is settled right here. Right here. If Jesus is not God, the four living creatures and the 24 elders. By the way, where were they? They were up here. I guess you could say heaven. And they're worshiping the lamb that was slain. You know why they're worshiping him? Because he's deity. And for a Jehovah's Witness to say that Jesus Christ, to call him God, is to desecrate God. I don't want to go to Acts 28.6. I want you to tell me, my Jehovah's Witness friend, why in the world the 24 elders and the four living creatures are worshiping the lamb that was slain. Why do they worship? Why do they do it? They're doing that because he's God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me say, and I'll quit. The doctrine of the Trinity is difficult. Yes. Hard to explain, hard to illustrate. Oh, it's H2O, gas, liquid, and solid. 
little weak, actually very weak. But, you know, I know it's hard to illustrate, but I, I'm, what I'm saying to you is um, that when it comes to the data that you find in the New Testament, or in New and Old Testament, the, the doctrine of the Trinity is the, is the doctrine that rightly represents and, and codifies all of the, of the data that you find in the Bible. Can I, can I give you a nifty little illustration about the Trinity? No, I cannot. But there is no way for me to explain these texts that I've showed you, shown you. But the thing that I cannot explain at all is Revelation 4, 5, and 6. Because people in heaven are worshiping the lion of the tribe of Judah. I got some news for you, gang. God the Father didn't come from the tribe of Judah, but Jesus did. And they're worshiping him because he's divine. Now, unfortunately, my two little Jehovah's Witnesses friends didn't want to sit still for that explanation. <laughs> and as soon as the door got closed, my wife was, don't ever do that again. Don't, stop that. You know. The reason that I brought you here, ladies and gentlemen, is because of verse 1 in Galatians 1. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Do you see that? Do you see it in verse 3? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is equating the Son and the Father. And the best representation, the best, um, the best way to represent the material that's found in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, is via the doctrine of the Trinity. Do I have it all down? No. But there's no other way for me to explain what I read in the Scriptures except by the doctrine of the Trinity. I'm sorry, but two women showed up at my doorstep, (laughs) and they really made me mad. (laughs) Let's quit. Uh, Our Father, I I pray that your people will uh, be steadied by the truth that um, you will show them that though we do not have all of the answers and nobody ever claimed to have all the answers, but the only way that we can properly understand what we read in this book is that you live, you exist in a triunity that we, uh, we haven't well illustrated yet, but we know that worship is to be ascribed to a thrice holy God. And we bring you that tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Might it please you. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.